0: Despite those momentum stalling and unnecessary detours, the irresistibly cheer worthy basketball sequences and Affleck's resonant and authentic performance are more than enough to carry the day. That's Richard Roper of the Chicago Sun Times reviewing one of two movies that I'll be reviewing this week. That's called The Way Back from Ben Affleck. What a week it has been. Hope everybody out there is safe and sound right now, quarantined as best as possible. It's just incredible to think how the world has changed literally since the last time we did this cinephile last Wednesday. I got four kids. There's nothing on sports. I'm like, I'm going to bed early, right? It's been a long day. I was probably in bed like, a, you know, like my dad, a 74-year-old, in bed at like 9, 930. And my wife wakes me up and tells me, Tom Hanks has coronavirus, and the NBA just canceled the season. I already knew it was a major deal. Like the first big shock was when I saw NCAA was going to hold the games but with no fans. And then all of a sudden you get that news, you go, oh my God, the world is never going to be the same. I did radio for Sirius the next day. This was last Thursday. And as we're doing the show, this is being canceled. This is being canceled. Yep, NHL suspended. Okay. MLB is being pushed back, etc. And now, of course, in our world here on the Entertainment, I quickly said to myself, well, I got to get out in movies because movie theaters are definitely going to be shut down. This is only inevitable at this point. For anybody who thought this wasn't a big deal, it's a huge deal. It's going to continue to be a big deal and it's going to get worse before it gets better. So Thursday night... I raced out to go see The Way Back, because I said, all right, one last movie review, hot off the press, so to speak, here for Cinephile, because after this, it's going to be a lot of, uh, I mean, listen, next week we can do Better Call Saul. It'll be five episodes into this fifth season, and then I think I'll just be revisiting a lot of old movies. I do have some screeners that I never got around to from uh, 2019, which maybe now I can review here on the podcast, but as far as movies in theaters, I mean, I was just driving around Ridgewood, New Jersey, and I see the theaters are closed, and here we are in Bergen County, which is a, you know... A, the suburb of New York City, I mean, they're telling us all right now, stay at home, do not leave your house unless it's an emergency, you can go to the grocery store, gas, that's it. Restaurants are going to be closed, um, all all sorts of stores, and my heart goes out to the small businesses out there, I don't know how hard this is going to be for any of them, and like I said, I hope all of you are at home right now, and I appreciate all of you listening, because I know there's lots of options right now in terms of what to binge watch or listen to, so as always, I appreciate you listening to Cinefile. And we will continue these weekly podcasts. I don't know exactly, like I said, as far as new releases, what we'll be able to do. There isn't going to be any new releases. Um, and Joe put together a list here of uh, how this is affecting entertainment production, which I'll get to in a second. But I mean, it's a surreal week. And so many people have said it's like a movie. Joe had thrown out the idea of a Mount Rushmore of like epidemic movies. And I said, it's a little too close to home. But yes, I've been thinking a lot about Outbreak in 1995 with Dustin Hoffman. I know people have been watching Contagion as well, 2011 which in some ways predicted this. I just was reading Hollywood Reporter, Bill Gates, predicted a few years ago that what's going to happen that's really going to affect mankind is a virus like this. It's not going to be anything else. It's not going to be volcanoes. It's not going to be uh, you know earthquakes. It's going to be a virus. It's just it's staggering how this has affected everybody and how it's going to continue. And speaking of my man Joe, as I hand off the baton, you're about to move, Joe. You're going to move to bed Shades of Do the Right Thing. I can't even believe that you're still in the office right now in Manhattan. Tell me how this has affected your world. I went on the
1: train this morning at like 9 15 and typically when I get on the train at that time there's maybe 80 people on the cart there's 10 people on my train ride into Manhattan today from Brooklyn so a lot of question marks for a lot of people I know a lot of people are working from home I hope everyone's staying safe washing their hands but just eerie and surreal coming into Manhattan this morning on the train after this
0: the official stay at home message was being sent And basically what we know, like my kids are out of school for the next couple of weeks, is like, listen, if everybody listens, if we can slow this thing down, flatten the curve, then maybe life will get normal back sooner rather than later. But I'm telling you, man, you hear some of these doomsdayers saying this could continue until July, continue until August. And you think about how that's going to affect motion pictures and movies and entertainment. I mean, people are going to just... Well, like I said, there's no shortage of content out there. Hopefully, like my buddy Scott Rogowski, people will watch old movies. Scott's the best. My partner in the zone change up. Hopefully we have a baseball season at some point. He texted me last week. He went and saw Hitchcock's shadow of a doubt. I'm like, I just love the fact that you can go see a Hitchcock movie in a New York City theater. Right now he's watching hardcore, which is a great. Paul Schrader movie from the 1970s starring George C. Scott. So yeah, go out there and watch some old movies. TCM, I mentioned Craig Kilburn was on Murcillo's podcast. He loves TCM. So honestly, there's lots of options out there. And of course, maybe we'll do that in the week's later instead of file. I'll give you lots of options right now. Stuff to watch if you haven't watched it before. Binge watch The Sopranos and all that kind of stuff. But let's get it going here with a movie review, which is the way back. Back in high school, Jack Cunningham, Ben Affleck and everything going for him. A basketball phenom, he could have punched his ticket to college or even the pros, but instead he chose to walk away from the game forfeiting his future. Jack's glory days are long gone, but as it turns out, not forgotten. Years later, he gets his chance to take back his life when he is asked to coach a struggling basketball team at his alma mater. Jack reluctantly accepts, surprising no one more than himself. And as the boys start to come together as a team and win, he may get his last shot at redemption. I'm a sucker for redemption. Any movies with redemption, I'm all in. I think it's the best theme ever you can get in novels, plays, movies, you name it. So, this kind of story I'm excited about, of course, the downside, when I read that review, you go, oh God, I've seen this movie before, whether or not it's Hoosiers or any number of basketball movies. And by the way, in terms of the Mount Rushmore this week, we are going to talk about inspirational sports movies and the best ones out there because clearly, you know, these kinds of movies have uh, taken place since the beginning of time. But the reason I was hustling to go see it beyond the fact I wasn't sure what else I'd be able to see was judging from the trailer and these yearly reviews, this might be something worthwhile. And before I talk about Affleck, the director is someone of note as well. That'd be Gavin O'Connor, because he's actually done some good work. He also did Warrior, which I was a fan of. That was like the first MMA movie. Nick Nolte, one of my favorites, got an Academy Award nomination, Best Supporting Actor. So I said, all right, if Gavin O'Connor's involved in this, he knows his way around sports films. But really, the reason to go see this is for Ben Affleck. And quite simply, it's one of his best performances. Affleck's career has been phenomenally interesting. I mean, he's in like school ties. He gets like six lines. Him and Damon are buddies. Literally grew up on the same block in Boston. They write Goodwill Hunting, win an Academy Award, and then Damon makes the more critically acclaimed movies. Affleck goes and makes Pearl Harbor, but they're both huge stars in their own right. But then Affleck just makes dud after dud, just a, 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 a horrific movies. You know, obviously, Gigli and, uh, I don't know, there's, there's lots of others along the way, Daredevil. I mean, just name it. It was like, oh my God, Ben Affleck can't make a good movie. And it's like, then he regained it, right? It's like how Stella got her groove back. It was directing. He makes Argo, which is one of the best movies of his life, he doesn't get nominated for Best Director. People are incensed by the snub, and that ends up helping the movie win Best Picture. I don't think it would have won, except when he got snubbed for Best Director, and like, no, no, I support Ben. So all of a sudden, the guy's got two Academy Awards, and now seems to have found his footing as a director. The town, in particular, was really good. But then he goes back to acting. Oh, you know, the accountant! that movie is awful. Like, it's just unwatchable, him and J.K. Simmons. By the way, Gavin O'Connor, as I'm praising him for Warrior, also directed The Accountant. So he's worked with Affleck before. So it's interesting. You can't really go back and forth. Then, of course, he becomes Batman. I thought he was a better Bruce Wayne than the actual Batman, but he's not going to be doing it much more. So we're going to do the Argo year for Total Recall, which Joe reminds me. So we'll talk about whether or not it should have won or was it just the timing and everything. But I just think Affleck's career is so interesting to say nothing of his personal life. I mean, One of my favorite ever celebrity groups, of course. I mean, Benifer. does it get much better than that? He got jail in the video, and he's like, smacking her ass. I'm like, that was great. Good times back then. And of course, culminated Jilly. So his personal life has gone up and down. Jennifer Garner's got kids, not divorced, alcoholism, been in and out of rehab centers. I mean, it's, it's remarkable, his life. And I think what he's able to do is put a lot of that personal equity into this movie. I'm reminded of what my favorite actor, Al Pacino, said years ago. Why he never went on talk shows for so long is he did not want people to watch the movie And know so much about him. So in the 70s, when he was making The Godfather and Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon and Godfather Part 2, he said, I don't want people to watch the movie and go, oh, I don't believe that because I know he's dating such and such. Or I read somewhere that Pacino doesn't do this. Or I saw him on Johnny Carson saying he wouldn't do that. So I can't buy him as this. So it was a very calculated decision by him and Robert De Niro for many years is to avoid talk shows and press opportunities so that it wouldn't, for lack of a better term, poison the performance. Because you wouldn't say, oh, I, I know this guy is a certain way. He would never do that. I can't buy him as that. And so in this instance, I think it actually helps Ben Affleck knowing so much about his background because it's well-documented he's had battles with alcoholism. It's been well-documented He said his divorce to Jennifer Garner, the greatest regret of his life, and you know he screwed up, and it was his fault, and the booze, and blah, blah, blah. So when you're watching a movie about a guy who's down on his luck, who's separated from a woman who then goes and finds somebody else... A guy who's drinking way too much, you go, all right. Rather than demean the performance and say, well, Affleck's playing himself. Well, no, no. He's playing something he's certainly been through. And I think because of that, the movie gains a lot of authenticity and a lot of gravitas. And Affleck has always been a very likable presence. I mean, Owen Gleiberman, in his great book, Movie Freak, uh, the chief uh, film critic for Variety, formerly Entertainment Weekly, he talked about how awkward it is for him as a film critic and guy who interviews these guys when the movies are bad, how hard it is to pan them. And he goes, certain people are jerks. You don't care, quite frankly. But Affleck, he goes, was always a very charming, engaging guy. He knew Owen Gleiberman's work by Entertainment Weekly. He's a big movie guy. He reads reviews. So he said, it would always kind of pain me. I have to kill this guy in his reviews because I had to be honest and true to myself. But he was making a movie to me that was just awful. And then I got to go interview him. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I pan that movie too. But he goes, Affleck was always a very charming guy. So all of that baggage, all that you know about Ben Affleck makes a story which feels overly familiar, alcoholic, wife's left him, goes to his high school basketball team, Hoosiers part two. It actually makes it a lot more palatable because of what you know about Affleck and because he gives such a nuanced, subtle, smart performance. I don't think it's overstating to say it's one of his best performances. Some may quibble and go, well, it's not like he has a lot of great acting performances from which to choose from. But this would definitely go in the Mount Rushmore movie performances. And as far as for him, at least, and as far as sports movies go, there are certain cliches you definitely can't avoid. But without tipping my hand, and obviously no one's going to see this movie for a while the movie theater's closing, the movie definitely avoids some of the cliches and some of the formula that you'd expect. Some of it is ingrained in the movie. Okay, if you watch a mob movie, there's certain things you're going to have. If you watch a romantic comedy, there's certain things you're going to have. If you watch a sci-fi movie, there's certain tropes you're going to have. In an inspirational sports movie, you're going to have stories. The team stinks. He takes where they start playing better. Star player does this. There's this fight, etc. But I give the movie credit and I give Gavin O'Connor credit because the ending isn't what I was expecting and avoids uh, some of the more traditional cliches you'd affect in a sports movie like this. I'm giving The Way Back three Maple Leafs. And when I first heard about it, I wasn't all that interested in it. And then once I saw it, I liked it. And now when I think about it, I like it even more because of what I know off camera and what I bring on camera. And really, Ben Affleck, Bravo! It's a terrific performance, Joe. He—he's always you're right. He's always just been that curious
1: case of an actor, and his career trajectory. And it sounds like uh, that this movie works because of him, but otherwise, it, the rest of it's
0: not all the way there. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, Gleiberman's review in Variety: beneath the authenticity of its staging, there is a moralistic simplicity to The Way Back. The film is too programmatic—an illustration of how bad things happen to good people. Even Richard Brody of New Yorker, the force of Affleck's perpetually anguished glower suggests depths that this redemption through sports drama doesn't reach. But he's the best part of it because he's lifting material, which probably isn't anything beyond anything you've seen before. I mean,
1: I'll I'll definitely say, you know me, I love basketball, so I will be there for this.
0: Uh, Sadly, there's no Timberwolves references or, uh, you know, Al Jefferson doesn't make a cameo. (laughs) But yes, you'll, you'll definitely be all in. Well, if it helps, there never is. (laughs) exactly god imagine like the lakers if we don't have an nba finals after all they've been through kobe passing away and all of a sudden this i'm like oh people are looking forward to seeing lebron hoisting the trophy anyways back to movies we go how about portrait of a lady on fire this is a movie i wasn't all that interested in but a couple people i work with at mlb network had told me about it and said it was really good my friend sam encouraged me to go see it uh ragowski i texted hey what'd you think of it so i said all right i'm gonna go see this now my friend Claire Atkins, of course, thumbs up. Here's the story, and, and let's be honest, this is not my cup of tea, right? 1760, France, lesbian romance, Knowing not the thing I'm dialing up. But Marianne is commissioned to paint the wedding porch of Heloise, a young woman who has just left the convent. Because she is a reluctant bride-to-be, Marianne arrives under the guise of companionship, observing Eloise by day and secretly painting her by firelight at night. As the two women orbit one another, intimacy and attraction grow as they share Eloise's first moments of freedom. Eloise's portrait soon becomes a collaborative act of and a testament to their love. So, this is one of these like real slow burns, emphasis on the slow burn when it comes to their romance developing. It's not like uh, Blue is the Warmest Color, which was much more uh, aggressive and in your face with the sexuality between these women. Uh, you know, this is more like one of those Merchant Ivory movies, which I quite enjoy. I mean, I love Remains of the Day because the way it shows the repressed relationship between Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson. Uh, like Age of Innocence, Scorsese's movie about Daniel Day-Lewis and you know how he's courting Michelle Pfeiffer. I mean, it's, it's very drawn out. But I think Portrait of Lady on Fire does not have near uh, the strength and the talent of those movies I just cited. I think in, in many ways it's an imitation of that. I think it's a decent film, but I think it takes a long time to get to where they actually consummate the relationship, which is at about the hour and 27 mark. And shortly after that, there's a scene which will scar me forever when Eloise is lifting up her arm and her hairy armpit is exposed. And then she starts talking about making the hair grow. So, I mean, if that's your thing, go for it. Portrait of a Lady on Fire for me. I'm going to give two Maple leaves. Again, 1760s chambermaid romance, not my kind of thing. And I can't give a review on what other people are saying or what I think people are saying. I get a review on what I think. And I can tell you right now, Joe, I'm not going to be dialing up this one again. I can see where the praise came from, but I think it's... Excessive. 98% on Rotten Tomatoes is insane. But congrats to lane Skiama, who is the writer and director of the film. Here's a couple of reviews. Rachel Simon of The New Yorker, even without showing men on screen, Siama depicts a myriad ways in which the patriarchy constricts the lives of her female protagonists. Okay. Uh, Cody Corral, Chicago Reader. It's a slow burn, sure. Yeah, no kidding. But the embers are remarkable. And then Thomas Laffly, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is its own wondrous, magnificent thing. A complete artistic vision where every directorial step is refined and each thematic probe. Seamlessly weaved in. I mean, I would have taken another pro rather than have to watch this movie. I got to be honest. Two many beliefs. I, I can appreciate the artistry, the costume design, the pacing, but it was not something that involved me from start to finish. I did love the last shot. It's about a two-minute shot. The camera pushes in on one of the characters watching an opera, and at one point it's pushing in for a while, maybe 30 seconds. And then eventually, it's about a minute still shot just for close-up. Pretty cool. It reminded me of, like, Ingmar Bergman. Of course, Bergman was the master of close-ups. Jonathan Demi, in terms of Americans, he's always great with close-ups. You can look at Sons and the Lambs. It was extreme close-ups of uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter talking with Jodie Foster. So I, I did appreciate the homage to Demi and uh, Bergman there. And the last shot was cool. But overall, I, I can't really recommend this film, Joe.
1: It sounds like it felt like work to watch it. Is that is
0: that kind of a fair assessment? That, that is absolutely true. If we did not deal with this pandemic right now and I had something else to do, I would have watched something else. In fact, as I told this story before from Doctor Bob at Ryerson, give it ten minutes. If it's not working for ten minutes, watch something else. And I got to be honest. After thirty minutes, I go, okay, I think I'm good. And but then of course you go, oh, it's a two hour movie. I mean, do you really, you know, can you just not sacrifice another hour and a half? So I, I'm, I'm not good at punting on things. But yes, if it was a workman like effort to get through it, just to say that I had indeed seen it. A couple other movies I want to talk about from the past, which I got a chance to rewatch again with, you know, everyone's got time on their hands right now. Narc. Joe Carnahan. What a movie this was. When the trail goes cold on a murder investigation of a policeman, an undercover narcotics officer is lured back to the force to help solve the case. Electrifying performance from Ray Liotta. If you haven't seen Narc before, 18-year anniversary of this film, see it for Lady Liotta. He put like... Um, something under his eyes. I have the DVD and Joe Carnahan talks about the stuff that Leota did. Leota himself uh, co-produced it so he really wanted to make this movie. It was made for, I want to say, six and a half million and it grossed 13 million. So if you, you, know, you double your budget, you're doing good. But I wish more people had seen it. It came out uh, late in the year uh, you know, for Oscar consideration. I want to say December 02, maybe and then it came out January 03. I think I saw it. But honestly, when you think about the all-time movies that... You watch certain performances. You go, how the hell did that get recognized, right? Like we do that for Total Recall. And I'm like, how the hell did it not get Ray Liotta an Oscar nomination? We'll do that one later on. We'll do a 2002 Oscars, a 2003 Academy Awards. I'm telling you, Liotta as Henry Oak is nothing short of electrifying. He is so, he has such coiled intensity in the performance. There's a scene where he's just brow beating Buster Rhymes and he's just so enraged. And yet it's not like he's screaming and ranting and ranting like a madman. It's 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 such intensity to it. It's so volcanic. It's it's amazing to see, man. Honestly, watch Narc just for Ray Liotta's performance. I wish he'd been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Maybe he should have won the award. Jason Patrick, also very good, always been kind of one of these underrated actors playing Nick Tellus. Um I think it's a four Maple Leaf movie. I think on um uh, I think on Rotten Tomatoes it's maybe around eighty four percent I wish it was higher. I got to be honest with you. I think NARC. If you're looking for a good cop movie right now, you got some time on your hands, go back and watch NARC. And it really is a movie that rewards its viewing. and It is not particularly long. Maybe an hour 40 or so. Low budget. Shot in Regent Park in Toronto. Carnahan actually mentioned on the... Uh, it's pretty funny. He was mentioning on the uh, commentary track how they were trying to find... You know, the worst neighborhood in Toronto was to shoot. It takes place in Detroit, right? They needed a grimy area. Regent Park, Torontonians and Canadians will know, is a very rough area. And he was like, dude, this isn't even the top 50 worst in America. But when I was watching it, I was uh, obviously taken back to what that area is like and just how challenging it can be. That is Narc. And one of the movie I wanted to mention, which is Uli's Gold, which is a movie that came out with Peter Fonda. Uh, that came out in 1997, and he plays a beekeeper, Who's dealing with a lot of chaos in his life? His son is in prison. He's raising his son's two kids, his grandkids, one of whom is 15 years old, played by Jessica Beale, none other than Mrs. Justin Timberlake now. She looked familiar at first, and I, of course, I did. maybe 10 minutes later, I'm like, well, who is that? Okay, let me just check. Oh, yeah, that is Jessica Beale. Wow. Don't know how much acting she'd done prior to uh, really blowing up, but yes, she is in Yuli's Gold, which I saw 20 years ago. I hadn't seen it again. It was available right now. Uh, HBO is giving away some extra channels. If you have direct TV, So I watched it again. I mean, it's just a beautiful movie. Victor Nunez wrote and directed it. Yuli is Ulysses Jackson, played by Peter Fonda, one of his best performances. When he passed away here in Cinefi, I talked about Yuli's Gold being his best performance. Obviously, Easy Rider in many ways, his most iconic. But I'm telling you, man, it's just so restrained and so wonderful storytelling of the fact that he's looking after his two granddaughters and he gets a call. He goes, visits his son in prison. He's got to go see his son's old accomplices. And he's going to help his daughter-in-law, who's strung out on drugs, and the son who is in prison is worried that his accomplices are going to take advantage of her, et cetera, et cetera. So he goes and rescues Helen. But of course, his old buddies are telling him, hey, we found out that Jimmy's got some money that he didn't give us. After the robbery went down and he got arrested, he hid some money from us. We want that money back here, old timer. Let's go, Gramps. And of course, how they find out about it? Because his wife is the one that told him. And Yuli just wants to look after his bees and look after his granddaughters. Instead, now he's involved with money and drugs and a woman who's just completely unhinged. Like he's literally going to rescue Helen from Florida, drives her back. The scenes where she's like just, just dealing with withdrawal from the drugs are so intense. Patricia Richardson, who you know from Home Improvement with Tim Allen, she plays the, the neighbor who is being kind and is a nurse and helps to sedate this woman. But then Yuli's going to figure out how does he get the money? How does he give to these guys, and how do things work out? And I just love the fact that Victor Nunez was able to use this story of a beekeeper as a metaphor for somebody who stays calm amidst the chaos. And I don't know if I appreciate it the first time I saw it. I mean, I definitely loved it when I first saw it. But when I saw it again, I appreciate just how smart that metaphor is. And that the scenes, by the way, of him beekeeping are fascinating. Right? I know we talked about the movie from Macedonia that got nominated, but I mean, this is, this is much more interesting to me. Actually, seeing a guy be a beekeeper. Like, how do you gather the honey? You clean the boards, you put it in the vats, you got to transport it somewhere, you put it in the jars. Like, I, I found the whole process fascinating of being a beekeeper. But that metaphor of a guy who stays calm the other times while the bees are in there making so much noise is, of course, a metaphor for his life. His son's a convict, his daughter in law is strung out on drugs, Jessica Beale's characters, hormones are going crazy. He's like, oh my gosh, she's going to be pregnant before Helen was. She's going out with guys, and there he is. He's got two crazy guys who does not trust at all, two delinquents, two scumbags who are trying to basically extort money from his son. He's dealing with all of this, and amidst all of this, Peter Fonda is channeling his father, Henry Fonda, and he's staying completely calm and the look of moral decency and a guy who is upright and will do the right thing. He's a great character. I mean, the way it was written, originally, Nunez was going to have Nick Nolte do it, which would have been amazing. He was into in Nolte. Fonda somehow got the script and got a hold of him and flew there and said, listen, I got to do this. And, um, you know, he had a reputation for being a bit of a space cadet. So Victor Nunez wasn't sure. He told the story after Peter Fonda died. But he goes, once he was on set, once he met uh, the other members of the studio, I think it was Orion, he said, God, they were just so good as far as, you know, being charmed by him. And I believe the glasses that he wears in the movie, which he takes off very slowly, and it's always like a very pained thing he does, um, probably those are the same glasses that Henry Fonda wore in On Golden Pond, which is the Academy Award winning film he did with Catherine Hepburn back in 1981. For, For the record, Henry Fonda's best movie, I think, 12 Angry Men. I mean, just, again, the great Sidney Lumet directing that, the way you get so much tension built up. But Peter Fonda channeling Henry Fonda, if you've never seen it, looking for a great indie movie from the 90s, which is when all those indie movies were exploding, Yuli's Gold is a four Maple Leaf movie for me. So there you have it. The Way Back in theaters. Good luck trying to see it, though. Maybe it'll be on demand sooner rather than later. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which was in theaters in February. Hopefully you saw it. I've got the screener, but hopefully it'll be available soon. And then two movies you can definitely watch. Available. I'm sure you can stream them somewhere. NARC you can watch. Ray Liotta, Jason Patrick and Yulie's Gold starring Peter Fonda. When we come back, we'll talk about the coronavirus is affecting all of popular culture right now, plus Mount Rushmore, inspiring sports movies and total recall. All that and more on the way. All right, so here's a running list of the shows and more delayed due to coronaviruses from the A.B. Club. And get ready. Films postponed or production halted. Peter Rabbit 2. James Bond, No Time to Die. That was supposed to be April. That's not going to be November. A Quiet Place 2. I couldn't wait to see it. It was going to be opening this week on Friday. Not happening. Jurassic World Dominion. The Batman, directed by Matt Reeves. That's right, Robert Pattinson. I couldn't wait to see that. Sylvester Stallone movie, Samaritan. Oh, wow, I don't, that's a Richard Price book that I love called Samaritan. I'm not sure if that's an adaptation of that book. Probably not. Avatar sequels have halted production. Oh, my God, what a surprise. I've been waiting forever for those movies. Man, I liked Avatar. I didn't love it, but I'm like, wait, you're making sequels, and it's going to take 15 years to get the sequels? What are we doing? Black Widow, still currently scheduled for its April 24th release. I got the Entertainment Weekly with Scarlett Johansson on the cover. I'm thinking, there's no way this is going to be opening April 24th, but apparently it's still scheduled. It ain't going to happen. TV shows postponed or production halted. The Amazing Race, Survivor, Riverdale, Saturday Night Live suspended indefinitely, Grace and Frankie, The Flash, The Handmaid's Tale, American Housewife, The Resident, Empire, The Bold Type, and some kind of Goobie Goonies TV show. Netflix has for now shut down all TV and film productions in the U.S. and Canada. Disney TV Studios has halted 16 pilots in a number of currently running shows, and Warner Brothers Television Group has temporarily shuttered over 70 series and pilots. CBS, Showtime, Paramount are still making decisions. Apple and HBO have followed suit and suspended all Productions. Daytime Talk and Late Night Suspended. The Tonight Show. Late Night with Seth Myers. The Wendy Williams Show. America's Got Talent. The Price is Right. Jimmy Kimmel. Real-time Bill Maher. Does that mean that Colbert is still going, Joe?
1: He is putting out videos. This morning, They on their YouTube account, they put out the uh, Lather Show with Scrubbing Colbert, where he did the entire monologue from his
0: bathtub. Okay, all right. So, so they're putting cool. out content. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so content's still coming, yeah. Uh, festivals and events and awards canceled. South by Southwest, E3, which is a gaming festival, the Game Developers Conference, CinemaCon, Kids' Choice Awards, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the American Country Music Awards. And of course, Joe and I are big sports fans. Sports suspended or postponed indefinitely. The NBA, Major League Baseball, MLS... European soccer. In fact, they just said Euro 2020 is going to be postponed until 2021. The NHL and WWE WrestleMania 36 moved to location will be closed set essential personnel on April 5th. This is just wild joke. I mean, listen, this is just massive. And this is just the tipping point, right? It's only been a week. It's going to get worse. Only
1: one week. It, it, the, the scary thing is what's still to come. And what will continue with all these big events and movies and television shows shutting down, I'm sure Netflix's stock is going through the roof at the moment because everyone's just going to be rewatching stuff.
0: Yeah, there's no question about it. Uh, other news to pass along. I only wanted to mention this because of the title. The Man from Toronto. Woody Harrelson has signed a deal to replace Jason Statham in The Man from Toronto not starring me, joining Kevin Hart in the action comedy. Statham was in talks to star abruptly backed out a week ago. He was insisting on making an R-rated film, but Sony execs didn't budge in their belief in making a broader four-quadrant movie. While his deal still not signed, he left, leaving Sony facing a production that was only six weeks from shooting in the lurch. So the scramble for a new actor was on. Sony agreed with Harrelson, studio favorite. He starred in the two Zombieland picks, as well as recently wrapping a turn its upcoming Venom 2. Action comedy uses a case of mistaken identity as the world's deadliest assassin known as the man from Toronto and a New York City screw-up run into each other at an Airbnb. A clash of personalities and a clash of deadly killers ensues. Patrick Hughes, who directed The Hitman's Bodyguard, is going to be doing this. The Man from Toronto slotted for a November 20th release, although, as we just mentioned, with so many productions being halted, I don't know if that one is going to be a go. I would say that's probably a no. Now it's time for the Mount Rushmore of Inspiration Sports Movies. Mount Rushmore. All right, Mount Rushmore of inspirational sports movies in honor of the way back. I mean, seriously, how can you not have Rocky on this list? I'm not as big of a Rocky fan as others. Okay, I still think it was a crime that it beat Network in 1976 for Best Picture and Taxi Driver for Best Picture. But nobody can deny it's an iconic film. It's a deeply influential film. And if you want an inspiring movie, they'll get you fired up. You go to Philadelphia, you run up those stairs, and you're feeling pretty good about your life. Next one, Friday Night Lights, which I also watched a little bit of the other day. I just love Billy Bob Thornton in that movie. I, I rewatched the scene where he gives a speech to the uh, kids. Of course, it's always a hallmark of sports movies, the inspiring speech scene. My Heart's Full, beautifully underplayed by Billy Bob. I uh, And the ending, too. God, it's just heartbreaking. I always like it when the movies, a downer, which, by the way, Rocky and Friday Night Lights do not have happy endings. So that helps with the inspiration because it offers more pathos when you go, hey, man, despite all that happened with these guys, Ultimately, it is not a happy ending, but it's still inspirational because of the way the team coalesces able to brought together in terms of a feel good movie that actually has a happy ending Cinderella Man, I thought was a beautifully made film from Ron Howard at times his movies can feel a little, uh, little, a mm, little overly sentimental for my taste, but I thought Cinderella Man it was an excellent movie. Performances: Russell Crowe, Paul Giamatti, Academy Award nominated. Hit him with the left. Pop, pop, bang. Renee Zellweger's excellent as the lead. And I thought that ending where he's talking about the fact that he got to get his kids some titles, but his kids think turtles. In the last shot, you see his kids playing with turtles and the look that Renee Zellweger gives him as they hug together. Beautiful moment. It is unfair the way they portray Max Baer. My friend Jeremy Schapp, who worked at ESPN, said it was a terrible Terrible job they did villainizing Max Bear. What the hell? It is called a movie. Ron Howard can do what he wants. I will go with Cinderella Man as the third choice. And then, you know, listen, how can you not have Hoosiers on this list? Well, you know what? What the hell? I'm not going to put Hoosiers on the list. I'm going to go with Bennett like Beckham. It's nothing against Hoosiers. It's just I want Bennett like Beckham to get some love. Beautiful story about an Indian girl growing up in England. Girl power. Uh, Grinder is the director. Of course, I loved her movie that uh, she made last year, Blinded by the Light, about an Indian kid who loves Springsteen, or Pakistani kid, excuse me, loves Springsteen. So that's my Mount Rushmore of inspirational sports films. Rocky, Friday Night Lights, Cinderella Man, and Bend It Like Beckham. And obviously, I'm sure for many of you out there, you're saying, come on, get Hoosiers in there. Maybe Joe will do so. Joe, the floor is yours.
1: I am going to agree with you. Texas Forever, throwing on Friday Night Lights. Uh, I, I... I'm sorry, everyone, but I'm not going to put Hoosiers on there. I'm going to put that on my honorable mentions. Instead, I will go with Cool Runnings, 1993.
0: (laughs) Yes, John Candy, great performance.
1: John Candy, feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. That's what I I say that all the time. Uh, So I'll go with Cool Runnings. And then The Mighty Ducks, I had to throw that on there. Similarities to The Way Back, you know, alcoholic coach comes in, inspires some kids they end up winning so also filmed in minneapolis so i have to go with the mighty ducks and then to finish it out one of my favorite movies of all time it wasn't until i was a fully formed adult that i realized none of these kids were in high school but remember the titans 2000 denzel washington movie about an integrated school winning going on and winning state love that movie so much remember the titans is my number one
0: I love it. A couple honorable mentions. I'd love to get on there as well. I just want to mention them. Rudy, which is, again, a really sweet film. Again, uh, I've heard Rudy Rüdiger was not the way they portrayed him in the movie. Not as good a guy as you one might think. But Sean Astin's performance, very carefully observed and nuanced. And again, guy's not a star, man. He gets literally on the field for garbage time. He gets to play two plays and sacks a guy. But you treat it like it's a Super Bowl. Uh, Great performance from Ned Beatty playing his father in that movie. Uh, Rudy is definitely an inspiring sports movie. And Chariots of Fire, which is, of course, an Academy Award winner. I should also mention. I mean, you don't think of running necessarily as inspiring, but the soundtrack from *Vangelis* alone is about as memorable as it gets when it comes to movie scores. So, a couple of honorable mentions to *Rudy* and *Chariots of Fire*. And you heard Joe's list, of course. Remember the Titans. We love Denzel. Now it's time for Total Recall. All right, so for Total Recall, Academy Awards 2013. It's the movies from 2012. Argo won Best Picture. What else was a nominee that year, Joe? Amour, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Django Unchained,
1: La Mis, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, and Zero Dark Thirty.
0: I would go with Silver Lines Playbook. I thought it was a great film. I know it's a romantic film, and maybe it's a little, uh, you know, I wouldn't say unnecessary times. Like, why exactly is De Niro's buddy betting against him? Like, why was he, why is he rooting against his friend? I mean, there's a few uh, plot contrivances, but I thought that we had a lot of heart. I thought I had excellent performances across the board. Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper, Bob De Niro. Uh, obviously, I'm an Eagles fan, so that's a big part of my fandom for the movie. But I thought that scene where they go, hey, we got a six after their dance. I mean, it was it was <laughs> ridiculous, as I mentioned, but also really funny and very charming. And I'm sure David O. Russell is a giant pain in the you know what. But I thought Silver Linings Playbook was a really unique and lovable movie. I would have voted that best picture. I did love Lincoln, but it's not a movie I could revisit. I saw it once and I thought it was great. I don't think I've ever had the desire to watch it again. Wasn't crazy about Zero Dark Thirty. I think Django's a little long. Beast of the Southern Wild. I love seeing an indie movie get some love there for Best Picture. Um, and Argo was really good. But like I said, I didn't think it was the Best Picture. I thought it got helped by the fact that Affleck got snubbed. I would have voted for Silver Linings Playbook. I, I even, quite frankly, ahead of Argo, I probably would have had Lincoln and Django Unchained. But congrats to Grant Hesloff, Ben Affleck, George Clooney, all the producers for Argo.
1: I agree that Argo should not have gotten it, but I'm going to go with the more. Um, wow Love Michael Hanecki movies He also did uh, The White Ribbon He did Funny Games in 1997 oh, yeah. Great, great disturbing. movie Disturbing Disturbing And Amour is equally as dark and disturbing And sad and heartfelt I absolutely loved it I would give it to more.
0: I remember Stanford Steve, one of my friends from East his He goes, "I don't understand how that movie got nominated." He goes, "Literally, they show the, the we'll get to best actress in a second, but the actress is nominated, and you just see like her spitting in a guy's face. Like, what the hell is this movie?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's not, it's not for the most widespread commercial audiences. It is an art house film, but yes, I agree with you. Uh, both the lead performances, Jean-Louis Trigon, I, I believe, was the main actor. I can't remember the female. It was Emmanuel Riva, yeah." Uh, God, they were both really good. Amor, I, I like you went off the board there, Joe. I like it. That's a good pick, but it definitely was a movie that I was happy to see nominated Best Picture. Maybe Best Director, you're going to tip your hand for Haneki, but Ang Lee won for Life of Pi. What else was nominated?
1: Haneki for Amore, Ben Zitlin for Beasts of the Southern Wild, Steven Spielberg, Lincoln, and David O. Russell for Silver Linings Playbook.
0: Life of Pi definitely had a lot of uh, imaginative work in terms of CGI and such, but I did not think it was a great movie, and I'm sure the book was better Haneke, you're right, has definitely uh, made some movies over the years that have certain power and are unforgettable, whether or not you like them or not. I, I personally wasn't crazy with the white ribbon, I, but I did like the way it was shot in black and white. Zeitlin came out of nowhere to get an audience for Beasts of the Southern Wild, which I was happy to see. Spielberg, I think, has made better movies than Lincoln, although I did really like it a lot. So I would have gone with David O. Russell. I know he's a real pain in the ass. What the hell? I would have given him Best Director for Silver Linings Playbook.
1: I agree with you. I would go with David O. Russell too, even though I love him more. I really like... Silver Linings Playbook, when that came out, the story behind it. One Haneke uh, movie that I will plug really quick, I don't know if you've ever seen Caché, uh, but that movie's no, great. Oh, yeah, oh,
0: yeah, yeah, the thriller. That's
1: crazy, that movie. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah, That's actually it's probably insane. my favorite of his. Yeah. Oh, it's it's incredible. Yeah. I, if, if anyone's listening who hasn't seen that, it's a French movie. It's incredible. Please watch it.
0: Oh, man, I have newfound respect for Joe. Caché, <laughs> you're right. I, I, what year? It was before I came to America. 2010 is when I came to America. What what year was it? Like 2007, something like that? I remember that movie about this guy being like haunted and ch- suspenseful and eerie yeah. in the video. I'm like, I, I haven't seen it in a long time. That's a great reference out of you.
1: Yeah, he, play, he plays with the camera too. You're not quite sure what is being filmed and what is a part of the film, which I, I really dug. But that was 2005 when it came out.
0: Okay, I remember it was it was before I came to America. It's, it's been fifteen years, and that's worth a rewatch. You know what, folks? Stop what you're doing. Go watch Cachet. Best actor, Daniel Day Lewis. I mean, unanimous champion, I think, for Lincoln as Abraham Lincoln. But what else got nominated?
1: Bradley Cooper for Silver Linings Playbook. Hugh Jackman for The Mids. Joaquin Phoenix, The Master, and Denzel Washington for Flight.
0: As I've said about Joaquin Phoenix, there's no reason he should have won for Joker. And everyone says how original the performance was. I thought he was owing a lot to what he did as Freddie Quell in The Master, which was a much better movie from Paul Thomas Anderson. I think a much better performance by him. Denzel in Flight was surprisingly good. Again, he's seen that character before, Alcoholic. But uh, I thought he really offered a lot to the performance and particularly, I mean, there's even some unintentional comedy when he was like at the end, which he kind of knew where it was going. You know, he's going to co- you know, cop to the fact he's a booze hound, and he says, I'm drunk right now. <laughs> I remember laughing just at his <laughs> delivery. In, I, was just, I mean, it was just so ridiculous. But yes, obviously, uh, serious subject matter. And listen, Zemeckis knows his way around some crashes. If you haven't seen Flight before, just watch it for the plane crash. I mean, it's it's extraordinary technical work. It does get a little paint by numbers. But yeah, really good performance by Denzel. I'm not a big uh, musical fan, but I really liked Les Mis. I thought Jackman was excellent. I mean, you talk about an old school song and dance man. I mean, that guy could knock it out of the park as Jean Valjean. He's got the pathos. He's also got the moves and the voice. And Bradley Cooper, I did love his Silver Linings playbook. Uh, prior to um, you know his evolution now as a director, I said this might be the best performance he gives as Pat Solitano Jr. But it's got to be DDL for me.
1: I agree with you. Yeah, it has to be Daniel Day-Lewis. And it, it's hard to bring to life a bigger-than-life character where there's no audio recordings of them, you have a few pictures, but he was able to do it and put together such captivating performance of Abraham Lincoln.
0: Yeah, that reedy voice, R-E-E-D-Y, like the fact that Lincoln did not have this baritone, it was like he kind of was able to figure out where he was from, you know, the Kentucky voice and that kind of a little bit of a higher pitch. I mean, it was, it was amazing. Just the voice alone and, of course, all the other... uh accoutrements that Dale, Dale Lewis can bring to the table. Best Actress was Jennifer Lawrence for Civil Lions Playbook. Who else got nominated?
1: Jessica Chastain for Zero Dark Thirty, Emmanuel Riva for Amour, Quivinzhani Wallace for Beasts of the Southern Wild, and Naomi Watts
0: for The Impossible. I love that Quivinzhani Wallace got nominated. I believe she was nine years old at the time and was she playing a six-year-old character. Wow. I'm the man, you're the man. Like there's that great uh, Oscar clip they showed of hers. I would have gone with Naomi Watts, The Impossible. I wish more people had seen. Dealt with this. Speaking of disasters, this dealt with the tsunami in Japan and her performance as a mother doing everything she can to stay with her kids is the best performance of his career of her career. It's a heartbreaking performance. I remember that year at the Oscars saying, "Listen, if there's one that's not going to win, that I'd love to see win, it'd be Naomi Watts of The Impossible." Maria Bennett, Bennett, excuse me. I thought she was amazing. J-Law, listen, I was happy she won. Great actress, great performance. As I said, I should have won Best Picture in my estimation. But Naomi Watts, The Impossible, best work of her career.
1: Wow, I have to watch The Impossible. I've, I've, I haven't seen it, and I can't speak on it. So as a result, I'm going with Jennifer Lord, and so I agree with the Academy for Silver
0: Linings Playbook. But
1: that I, I will be watching that this weekend, The Impossible. I love it.
0: You're going to like it. Best Supporting Actor is Christoph Waltz or Django Unchained. I didn't think he should have won. Give me the other nominees.
1: Alan Arkin for Argo. Robert De Niro, Silver Linings Playbook, Philip Seymour Hoffman, The Master, and Tommy Lee Jones, Lincoln.
0: I would have gone with either Bob or uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman here. I think Alan Arkin, really funny as Lester Siegel. I mean, he has a real um, necessary comedic tone to this movie because, you know, it's about... Not only the war, but also a satire of movie making. And, and Arkin is just so perfect in the movie. Walt is always great with Tarantino, but I think one Oscar for me, with Christoph Waltz would have been fine. He's really good in Django, but I would have argued Leo DiCaprio should have been nominated and should have won. Then, if Christoph Waltz is going to get nominated, I thought he was just as good in the movie. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones definitely solid as Thaddeus Stevens, but Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, the way he's playing, basically one of these you know Scientology type leaders is Lancaster Dodd. I mean, the way he just weaves a spell on people. He's he's charismatic, and yet he's just has this hair trigger temper. I mean, he just explodes on Joaquin Phoenix when they're in prison together. I mean, it's he can see how these characters can be so spellbinding and yet so dangerous. So I'd probably go with him. But I thought De Niro was amazing. He hadn't been nominated since Cape Fear, which was 1991. He gets Dominic Supporting Act, particularly the scene uh, you know, where he's, you know, crying and you know, talk about his son who's dealing with these issues. He himself has a son who uh is on the spectrum and he he was able to draw on that personal experience with that scene. I mean that scene alone was really beautiful acting. By Bob De Niro, and uh, yeah, convincing as a huge Eagles fan, the superstition, the juju, I and mean, you got to hold my handkerchief a certain way. No, don't go anywhere. Come on, I, I, I thought he nailed the OCD of any sports fan, which I could appreciate. So either uh, Seymour Hoffman or De Niro for me. All
1: right. Well, if you're gonna go Seymour Hoffman or De Niro. I agree with you first and foremost that Christoph Waltz, I liked him in this, but it just kind of I, I kind of felt he was on the upswing of his career and the Academy was recognizing that. And that with this role, much like Margot Robbie getting nominated at this year's Academy Awards, it was just kind of thrown his way. Yeah. If that makes any sense. I totally agree. Um, I will go with Robert De Niro though for *Silver Linings Playbook*. I just genuinely love that movie, and it's such an inspiring story too. It's so great, and it's—I I just absolutely adore it. So I'll go with Robert De Niro. All
0: right, Best Supporting Actress is Anne Hathaway for *Les Mis*.
1: Other nominees: Amy Adams, *The Master*; Sally Field, *Lincoln*; Helen Hunt, *Sessions*; Jackie Weaver, *Silver Linings Playbook*. I mean,
0: Amy Adams—the scene where she's like telling Philip Shepard what he's going to do while giving me a hand job in the bathroom. I mean, and for that alone. You got to get an Oscar nomination for having that kind of artistic integrity to be able to sell that scene. Um, I thought Helen Hunt was really good in the sessions. Not enough people saw it. She plays a, speaking of the sex theme, a sex worker. She goes and helps John Hawks, who's never had sex before. He's a quad, paraplegic, quadriplegic, can't remember. Definitely has some uh, physical ailments, and she's literally a sex worker. She goes there and has sex with people, does so in a you know safe manner. They develop a bond. I thought it was a kind of performance that took a lot of guts. Because, uh, you know, she's vulnerable, both physically and emotionally. So I thought Helena Hunt, too, never really matched as good as it gets as Oscar win. This The fact she got Oscar in for this one, I think, was worthy because it really was a good performance by her. But I would have gone with Anne Hathaway. I mean, the, the one scene, I can't remember the song offhand with the famous song she sings from Les Mids and close-up crying. I mean, that was incredible work by her.
1: I love Anne Hathaway and Les Mids too. But I'm going to go with Sally Field for Lincoln. Ooh. I thought she really embodied Mary Todd Lincoln in in the movie So. Uh, and th- I feel like that movie was really acting-driven, even though it is Spielberg. And there's some moments in it that only Spielberg can create, uh, but I will go with Sally Fields.
0: How about Tommy Lee Jones got the bad wig in that movie, too? I mean, that was unbelievable. Right. Um, two more to go. Best Original Screenplay was Quentin Tarantino for Django Unchained. What else was nominated?
1: Amour by Ineki, Flight by John Gattins, Moonrise Kingdom, Wes Anderson, Roman Coppola, and Zero Dark
0: Thirty, Mark bull um, Tarantino's second Academy Award I believe was in this category for Django Unchained no issue with it again I like it a lot I don't love it as mo- the other Tarantino movies people do but the only other option I would have gone with maybe is Haneke for Amour because I gave director to uh David O. Russell so maybe I would give Haneke a uh, screenplay here. I feel like Joe is definitely going to go in that direction so I will go with QT I think the Academy got it right
1: I like Dango Unchained, Django Unchained a lot. QT totally deserved it, I think. But I will go with Aneki and I will go with them more Just to slowly see someone fall into dementia and how the effects that that has after decades of marriage, I just don't think could have been replicated. So I'll go with them more.
0: That's well said. It's a tough watch. Best adapted screenplay.
1: Argo, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Life of Pi, Lincoln, and Silver Lani's Playbook.
0: Well, since I already gave to to Russell the Oscar for directing, this time I will give it, I agree with the Academy, giving it to Argo and Chris Terrio, because again, it does balance that high wire of being a war film and a film with a lot of drama and suspense, but also being a satire of Hollywood and being really funny. And Alan Arkin gets a lot of those good lines. And Affleck, I think, should be uh, credited, obviously, with having the right tone with that movie, directorially speaking. So yeah, I think the Academy got it right. I, I like seeing Beasts of the Southern Wild get nominated. Ah, uh, Lincoln. Obviously, I mean that's that's a pretty tough book to adapt. I mean, that, maybe that should have won because Doris Kearns Goodwin. You're not messing around with Doris Kearns Goodwin. Like she, when she writes <laughs> Team of Rivals, you're like that's a 700 page book. Good luck adapting that. Um, and Civil Lines playbook. I've never read the source material, but obviously, I like the script a lot. So I will agree with the Academy on Argo, but Tony Kushner props for Lincoln.
1: I'll go with Tony Kushner too. Um, for for Lincoln as my choice, and also he, great playwright yes, too. Angels uh, in America. Angels in America, definitely. And so, yeah, I'll go with just the task of having to tackle that book. Definitely, we'll go with Tony Kosher.
0: All right. Thanks so much. uh, To Joe, he's always getting things done, man. He's uh, risking life and liberty here to come to Manhattan. So, hopefully, next time, he'll be able to work remotely from Brooklyn. We will keep pumping out cinephiles, though, and give us suggestions. Go ahead. Tweet us Pod. What movies do you want me to review? What old movies do you want me to talk about? Because it's a blank slate now. I obviously will not be going to the movies, not getting any more screeners. So, your options, let me know. I can tell you for sure. I'm going to be talking about Better Call Saul next week on Cinephile. Until then, well, I'm not going to see you at the movies. I will uh, talk to you about the movies next time.